If you knew I was speaking today and you still came, I just want to say thank you. I hope that you will not be disappointed. I have to say that my sweet little daughter, Ava, she said, Mom, I, w- I want to stay in the sanctuary because I want to hear you. And I said, well, I may talk about you a little bit, but <laughs> I promise I won't say anything bad, Ava. But last night, my husband is uh, on a little bachelor party with my son. <laughs> uh, so, you know, if, and, and my brother-in-law, too. So, you know, if the uh, dad and the uncle get invited, then it's a pretty mild bachelor party, right? They're in, on a ski trip in Colorado. My son is getting married, you guys. Like, I, I can't believe it. Like, he was a baby in this church, in this, in this church, in this building, and many of you knew him as a baby, and I just can't believe that I'm sitting up here old enough to have a son who will be married. But I'm super excited. And us pastors are um, gone this weekend at a wedding. Uh, Maddie Eilers got married last night in, Brand- in, in Missouri somewhere. So that's where they are this morning. So anyway, but Ava, last night was just Ava and I at home, and we watched a... a Sweet little Hallmark movie, and then I was like, okay, Ava, let's go to bed, and she was in the bathroom getting ready for bed, and I went and lay down, and uh, she came in my room, and she said, Mom, I want to pray for you because tomorrow is your big day. So she just laid on top of me, and she said the sweetest prayer, and she said, God, I thank you that my mom's going to nail it tomorrow. <laughs> and I mean... That's probably, that prayer that she prayed was probably one of the biggest blessings I've ever received from one of my kids. And I've been a parent for a long, long time. Um, My oldest son is 25, and then I have a 21, almost 22-year-old. My middle daughter's 20, and then Miss Ava, who's 10. So I've been a parent a long time. I still have some parenting to do, but that was, Ava, that blessed me. And so, thank you. So... Okay, let's get into it. My computer just, there we go. Oh, she just sent me a, (laughs) she left me a message on the top of my notes. I love you. You're the best mom anyone could ever ask for. So, Ava and I butt heads a lot, don't we, Ava? But she is my girl. She is my sweetie. And um, anyway, so let's get into it. Do you have my slideshow? Okay. Naked and Afraid. How many of you guys watched that show, Naked and Afraid? Have you ever heard of it? Nobody has heard about Naked and Afraid? Okay. So they take these people, these brave, crazy, insane people, and they drop them into the middle of Africa or uh, the Amazon. They have to take all their clothes off. Yes, you heard that right. They go into the wilderness completely naked, naked and afraid. And I don't even like to be barefoot, so (laughs) I cannot even imagine. I cannot even imagine, you guys, with a complete stranger. They're partnered up with the complete stranger, by the way. So they go and they do their survival skills, and they have to hunt for what they eat. They have to find water and boil it. I mean, they have to start a fire. I mean, they are have to fight for survival. Now, I like the show because my son, Cole, 
many of you know, watched him grow up, he loved survival shows. He had a little survivor bag, and he would, for Christmas, he would always want gear, survival gear. One time we were in the mountains, and he had his, he had his backpack. He never went anywhere without it. And he was probably about 10 years old, and he kept asking questions about where we were going to be and, you know, the surroundings. And Bryce and I kind of got a feeling that he was planning on getting lost so that he could see if he could survive. <laughs> you know, he was planning a, a, uh, to do this, and so we had to kind of put the fear of God in him and told him about probably exaggerations about bears and everything, and he didn't, he didn't get lost, but he was thinking about it. He admitted later that he was considering that. So, um, my computer, okay. So, I believe that this mirrors the wilderness seasons of life that I've been in for a while, I believe this church has been in for a while. A wilderness season is where you feel like all your comforts of life have been stripped away. Can you relate to this? Can you see these people? <laughs> Can you see? This is how they look after a few days in the wilderness. The, the, the uh, show is like uh, 21 days long. I mean, they're usually out there for 21 days, sometimes 40. I think I've seen it up to 60 days that they're out in the wilderness no shower, no, no bed, nothing, you guys. It's just them and nature. So this is what they look like after a few days. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes this is how I feel that I look like. Am I the only one? <laughs> I mean, life can be so dang hard, and it just feels like that lately we have been just fighting to survive. Does it feel that way to anybody else? So, there's good news. There's so, so much good news. How do we survive the wilderness? What can we expect from God? How can we come through to the other side? Well, we're going to talk about that, and I'm going to try to get through it all. So, let's talk about the seasons of wilderness. A lot of times it comes after a big event, like a mountaintop high. Like you are, woo, on top of the world. God is really moving. I mean, he gave me this awesome word, or he delivered me from this. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 13. Verse 3, it says, uh, So Moses said to the people, This is a day to remember forever, the day you left Egypt, the place of your slavery. Today the Lord has brought you out by the power of his mighty hand. You have been set free. The Lord delivered them. What has the Lord delivered you from? I can think of things the Lord's delivered me from, and I can think of things that I still need delivered from. But I know God has delivered me from stuff. He has delivered my husband from stuff. He has delivered us. But once you're delivered, it doesn't mean, whoo, life's a walk in the park. Right? Okay. Luke, we're going to jump from, from Exodus to Luke a lot. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, Exodus um, Luke chapter 3, first, it's just in 21 and 22. 
It says, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized as he was praying. The heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Some translations say, this is my dearly beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God was well pleased with him. Jesus had not performed one miracle. He had not done anything, but God still affirmed him. He affirmed him and said, this is my son. I am very pleased with him. He brings me great joy. And I want you to know that God is speaking that over you today too. You are my son. You bring me great joy. You are my daughter. I am so pleased with you. God is affirming you. He affirmed Jesus and he affirms us. But like like I said, that doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy. So they were delivered. The Israelites were delivered. And Jesus was affirmed. And then what happens immediately after? Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory. Even though, now listen to this part, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land, God said, if people, if the people are faced with the battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way. I love that word roundabout. It really stuck out to me. Whew, a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. God didn't take them the shortest route to the promised land. He led them through the wilderness. He led them through the wilderness. God led them through the wilderness. Do you hear that? So wilderness can be spirit-led. A wilderness season can be spirit-led. You know, um, God, he just really spoke to me that, you know, some of you have been, some of us have been beating ourselves up and seeming like, man, I really screwed up. Here I find myself in the middle of this barren land. What did I do? What did I do? God, how can I fix this? And and God wants you to know that, you know, sometimes it's spirit-led. Because he has things he wants to develop on the inside of us. He has things that he needs, we need refined. I, I can't be the only one in here that needs to be refined and developed. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? So God leads us into the wilderness. And he did the same thing to Jesus. In Luke chapter 4. Switching back and forth isn't as easy as I thought it would be. Uh, So uh, then Jesus had just been baptized. God had just said, you are my son whom I'm well pleased. Then the Holy Spirit, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Hmm. One thing about God is that he would never expect us to walk through something that Jesus didn't go through. So if we're going to be in a wilderness season, guess what? Jesus had to go into a wilderness season, and he was led by the Spirit there. 
God could have surpassed the Red Sea altogether, but his goal is not the easiest path. It is the most productive, the most fruitful for your life. What will benefit you the most in the long run? Do you hear that? God is not about the easiest path in our life. He is about what is going to be the most productive, what is going to be the most fruitful for them. And God was concerned that if the, Egypt, if, if the Israelites had, a, had a, uh, faced the Philistines right from the get-go, they would have just been scared so badly that they would have just run back to Egypt. So if God leads you in a roundabout way to something, it, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for the roundabout way. I lived on 34th Street um, for several years, and many of you know that that street was under construction for 85 years. <laughs> it was under construction forever. And for a long time, it was a one-way street. So I lived in Country Oaks, and I had, you know, the fastest route to Ava School every morning was to turn right out of Country Oaks. Well, for a long time, I had to turn left, and I had to go clear around the section to get to school every day. I had to go clear around the section to get to work. I mean, if I got to the stop sign half a mile, a quarter mile from my house, and I realized, oh, I left my phone at home, or Ava left her backpack, or whatever. We had to go clear around the section to get back home. We had to go the roundabout way, and I was, oh, I was not patient during that time, because there were so, there were so many days where I would drive, and there would be nobody working, and there would be no sign of any progress, and I would be like, what is going on? When are they going to get this done? I mean, this was like, I don't know. It went on for, I, I said 85 years, but it was probably two years, two and a half years. It's a long time if you lived in the middle of it. But you know what? Behind the scenes, there were people working that I can see. They were planning and engineering and working out all the details, probably a lot of red tape and, you know, getting funding and all that fun government stuff. But in the end, it was a beautiful new road, and it was amazing. And so sometimes the roundabout way is not fun, but it leads us to a really good place. And we have to trust God. But a wilderness season can be spirit-led. The spirit can lead us there. Okay, and real quickly, I just want to touch on this. It can also be fear-driven. Um, in, in 1 Kings 18, Elijah... He called down fire from heaven after the prophets of Baal. 450 of them couldn't, you know, it was kind of a standoff between whose God was real. And the prophets of Baal cried out for, to their gods for hours and nothing happened. So Elijah's like, hey, I got this. And he, you know, dumps a bunch of water and just soaks it with water. And he calls out to God and boom, fire falls, consumes the, the altar. And Elijah kills all 450 prophets of Baal. He just, he just rids that, of that pagan stuff, and he's like, no, my God is real. Well, immediately after that, Jezebel sent him a message and said, hey, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and he was afraid, and he fled for his life. Then he went alone into the wilderness. He traveled all day. He sat under a, a broom tree and prayed that he might die. So once again, this big miracle had happened, this big sign from God and he runs for his life. I mean, he killed 450 prophets, and then he's scared of Jezebel. She was a mean, mean woman. <laughs> I 
but he ran out from Jezebel out of fear into the wilderness. So a wilderness situation happens, but it's not spirit-led, it's fear-driven. Fear can make us forget all that God has done for us. Fear can take us out of the will of God. It causes us to be paralyzed. Have you ever guys been paralyzed with fear? And hopelessness, barrenness. Okay, but I want you to listen to, no matter how you got into this wilderness season, season, no matter if the Spirit led you there, if your choices got you there, if, you know, fear drove you there, there is hope. And you can survive, and I believe that we will survive, and we will come into the promises that God has for us. Let's talk about the survival skills of the wilderness. So you see this picture, I don't know if you can see it very well, but they give them this bag that they put there, they, they get, you know, limited, they get to take one tool of choice. Most of the time they take like a, um, a knife or a big machete type of thing and our fishing line sometimes and, and they give them usually a pot to boil the water in and they give them a fire starter because, I mean, it is TV after all. They can't have them dying out there. So, <laughs> so what tools can we put in our survival bag? Let's look at Exodus chapter 16. Verses 1 through 3. It says, Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sinai between Elam, Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month, just one month, after they had re, uh, leaving the land of Egypt. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. We're just one month in. And they're complaining. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread that we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Now, how many of you have been hangry? I've been hangry. I don't like to be hungry. I've got a middle schooler, and I'm telling you, when you pick her up from school today, every day, she is hangry. I've got to have a snack ready if I want to have any sort of productive conversation with her, right? Hunger is a powerful thing. I mean, it kind of makes us lose our mind. No one likes to be hungry, right? Do you like to be hungry? I don't like to be hungry. So, the Israelites were one month in. God parted the Red Sea and delivered them. They saw the uh, Egyptians, you know, defeated in, in, in the Red Sea. And they, one month in, and they're like, okay. They've already forgotten about the backbreaking work that they did in Egypt, about the bricks that they had to make, and, and about long hours in the heat. They've already forgotten, and all they're thinking about is the food they had in Egypt. Well, let's see how Jesus responds. So, in Luke chapter 4, it says, So, Jesus had been there for 40 days. He was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. I don't know about you, but 40 days without food sounds absolutely, completely, totally miserable. I mean, I've fasted for three days before, and that was, 
you know, hard enough. <laughs> so Jesus became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. So see how differently the responses are? The Israelites are worried about their immediate comfort. Their immediate comfort. Their flesh was screaming, I am hungry. Give me some food. Why did you bring me out here to die? I'm going to die. I'm going to die of starvation. I'm going to die of starvation. Jesus had been out there without food for 40 days. Satan tries to tempt him to turn the stone into bread. You know what? Jesus could have turned the stone into bread. The sin was not in turning the stone to bread. I mean, he turned water into wine, right? God provided water from the rock. There was no sin about him turning the stone into bread. It was the reason behind it. The devil was trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut to solve Jesus' immediate problem at the expense of his long-range goals. Why do you think God led Jesus into the wilderness? Was it for God to sit up there and watch Jesus suffer for 40 days? No, because Jesus was fully God and fully man. That means he has a flesh. He had a flesh like you and I. And God knew he had to develop Jesus. He He had to discipline him. So Jesus didn't take the shortcut. The, Satan wanted him to seek comfort. Listen to me. To seek comfort at the sacrifice of discipline. Okay, this is going to get a little rocky, but I love y'all right here, okay? No one wants to talk about discipline. It's a bad word. It's a dirty word. Don't talk to me about discipline. Because that requires something of ourself. Right? Discipline is the strongest form of self-love because it is ignoring current pleasures for bigger rewards to come. The world lacks discipline. The body of Christ lacks discipline. I'm preaching to myself, so don't feel like if I'm stepping on your toes, no, I'm stepping on mine too. It takes discipline to get your, church, get your family to church every Sunday. It takes discipline to turn your keyboard off when you want to bash someone on Facebook or respond with your opinion. It takes discipline to keep your mouth shut. It, keeps, keeps, it takes discipline to not be selfish in your marriage. The biggest problem in marriage is selfishness because we think about what we need. Instead of serving our spouse, we think about, oh, well, I didn't get my needs met. You know what? It takes discipline to change your thoughts. We want to talk about God's grace, and we want to, oh, tell me about God's grace. Tell me about how wonderful his grace is. Tell me about his love for me. And, oh, yes, oh, yes, 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 I love God's grace, and I am thankful for his love. But if his love is not making you want to be a better person, you don't have a full revelation of how powerful his love is. Because his love should drive you, 
should drive you to be more like Jesus every single day. And that requires discipline. Ooh, it's getting a little quiet. (laughs) I'm telling you, if we are going to walk in the fullness of God, we have got to stop just depending and thinking everything is covered by God's grace, which it is, okay? If you never are disciplined a day in your life, God will still love you. You will still get to heaven. His grace covers you. But do you want to fulfill your purpose on this earth? Do you want to fulfill your destiny? I say yes. That's going to require discipline. Discipline to get in his word every day or most days on a regular basis. Discipline to keep your mouth shut when you don't need to be given your opinion discipline you guys Jesus had it can you imagine how hungry you'd be after 40 days he could have turned that rock into into a into bread just like that and could have satisfied his immediate needs but he wanted what God wanted the Israelites wanted their hunger met immediately it takes it takes discipline Hebrews 12:11 says no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Mm. In order to survive the wilderness, we have to have an eternal spiritual long-term perspective. It is not about us and our hunger and our needs all the time gosh we're selfish we are selfish I'm talking about me too I mean I think how much time have I wasted wallowing in self-pity come on we wallow in self-pity and say God well you're not meeting my needs look at so-and-so they got their needs met or they got you know the brand new car I've been driving the same car for 11 years and I'm thankful I speak blessings over that car every day oh thank you thank you Lord for this car it's been an amazing car and I will drive it till the wheels fall off you know Pastor Sean talked about the bondage that takes discipline I mean God can he can and sometimes he does remove Debts supernaturally, but honestly, getting out of debt requires what? I don't need a $7 coffee every day. I've been telling myself that. I don't need a $7 coffee every day. I drive by there. I don't need a $7 coffee today. Oh, but I really want a $7 coffee today. (laughs) Ava asks me every day, can I go to Twisters today? Nope, not going to go to Twisters. I'm not going to go to Twisters. Do I want to go to Twisters? Yeah. (laughs) it takes discipline you guys discipline I want to challenge you and and I'm spending a lot on this I want to challenge you what can you be more disciplined in this year I'm not talking about works and I'm not talking about trying to save yourself through works I'm not talking about that I'm talking about maturing yourself in Christ and becoming more like him I want to look more like Jesus by the end of this year than I did on January 1 of this year. I want to look more like Jesus. What's going to take for me to get that is discipline. Discipline. Jesus had to have discipline, so we are expected to have discipline. Okay. 
I'm done. I'm done with my mom hat. I'll take it off. Okay, number two, number two uh, survival skill. Let's go to Exodus chapter 32. Verse 1, it says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from Egypt. So Aaron said, okay, sure. I mean, (laughs) take the gold rings from your ears and your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf, and he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings, and after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and indulged in pagan revelry. So in verse 7, the Lord says to Moses, Hey, You better get down there because those people who you took out of Egypt, (laughs) they have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. So Moses had gone up. This is right after God made a covenant with them and said, if you will obey my commands, if you will listen to me, if you will serve me and me only, I am going to do great things for this nation. I am going to bring you into the promised land. I mean, and the people were exuberantly saying, yes, we will do this. We will do this. Well, Moses goes up to the mountain for 40 days. He's getting instructions, downloads from God about how to build the tabernacle and how the duties of the priests and and specifics about all that. Well, guess what? The Israelites get tired of waiting 40 days. And so they're like, hey, let's take matters into our own hands. We want a God we can see. We want to, we want, we want to know something's taking place. So let's just do something ourselves. So how does Jesus respond? Luke chapter 4, verses 5. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Okay, so Jesus was tempted to bypass God's plan. Satan was offering him everything that would eventually be given to Jesus anyway. He could have taken the easy way out. He could bypass a lot of suffering. But what would that mean? If he bypassed the suffering, if he bypassed God's plan, would have had ramifications on us, right? <laughs> and for every, every man, every, uh, all of mankind. So when we are in wilderness seasons of life, the timing can be so hard. Because we, how many of you like to wait? You like to wait in line? I like to wait. 
Do you like to wait? <laughs> no? Okay. I don't like to wait. Waiting can be so hard. I want it now. I want it now. It's during these times that we are tempted to preempt God's timing and take matter into our own hands. We want to acquire things in advance of God's timing. But when Jesus was tempted to preempt God's timing, what did he do? He worshiped. He said, no, I'm going to worship God. You, know, you guys know I like worship, so you know I was going to talk about it. I'm not talking about the songs we sing on Sunday morning. Yes, that's part of worship. I'm not talking about raising your hands, clapping. I'm not talking about any of that. That is part of worship. I'm talking about a mindset. I'm talking about a lifestyle. That it's a place where our focus, once again, isn't on ourself. Worship during the waiting keeps us in God's, God's timing because it's a place of surrender. It's a place of surrender. It's saying, God, you know best. You know best. We can, rebel, we can rebel against God's timing, and ultimately what happens is we extend our wilderness season. God was ready to destroy the Israelites when they did that. He was ready to whoop. See you guys. Moses, you know, he pled with God, pleaded with God for mercy we have to learn to worship in the waiting. Worship is like a cloak we wear. If it's raining outside, you put on a raincoat and you walk outside. Does that raincoat make the rain stop? No, it protects you from the rain, right? That's what worship is. It's like it doesn't change the elements around us. It protects us from the elements around us. Worship is like on the show, they have to create a, a, some sort of shelter. And a lot, if they're in Africa, they create these, uh, what are they called? Bo Boma? Is that it? Is that the right word? Boma, where they take uh, these branches and they, all these thorns and they build up these walls that keep the leopards and lions and stuff out, the hyenas. Whew, that sounds scary to me. <laughs> But that is what worship does. It's like a boma for us. We, we surround ourselves in this protective state. It's like, you know what? Nope, I don't care what's going on. I am, I am worshiping God. I am worshiping in the waiting. I am walking with God. I am focused on him. I'm not worried about the timing. It protects us. It warms us in the cold times of life. It keeps us from exposure to the enemy. To me, it's like the fire starter that these contestants get because fire is crucial to their survival. Keeps them warm at night, keeps the predators away. The fire's necessary to boil the water, to make it drinkable. I mean, without fire, they would not survive very long out there. And without worship, we are not going to survive in the wilderness seasons of life. We're not. We'll, we'll die in the wilderness. I don't want to die in the wilderness, guys. God has too much. God has too much for us, too much for me, too many plans, too many big things. I don't want to die in the wilderness. And I'm just going to keep worshiping until his timing lines up and until, until he, he says it's time to move forward. Worship keeps our hearts focused on God. So first was discipline. Second was worship. 
number three. So God told the Israelites, it's time, it's time, it's time we're going to go into the promised land. We're going to take, I'm going to take you to the land of Canaan. So you guys know this story. Since 12 spies, all but two of them came back and said, there's no way we can do that. Too big, too scary, no thank you. You guys, the grapes were so big, one cluster of them took two men to carry on a stick. Can our minds even comprehend that? That's the kind of thing that God had for them. And they were like, no way, too scary. I'm not doing that. So the Lord said in Numbers 14, he said, I will pardon them as you have requested. Because once again, Moses had to, had to beg for their survival, for God to spare them. But surely as I live, and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed, both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They tested God in their hearts. So I started thinking, ooh, how have I tested God in my heart? Well, let's see how Jesus responds. Luke chapter 4 again. Verse 9 says, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, Hey, if you're the Son of God, prove it to me. Jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on the stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not, you must not test the Lord your God. So we can either take God at his word and trust that he means what he says or we can test him in our hearts by refusing to listen to him, by refusing to remember what he has already done for us. Psalm 78, 18 says, In their hearts, they tested God just to get what they wanted, asking for the food their hearts craved. Like spoiled children, they grumbled against God, demanding he prove his love by saying, can't God provide for us in this barren wilderness? Will he give us food or will he only give us water? Where's our meal? Then God heard all their complaining and was furious. His anger flared up against his people, for they turned away from faith and walked away in fear. They failed to trust in his power to save them when he was near. I'm going to say this statement, and I want you to hear me. Are you testing God to get what you want? Are you trusting him to give you what you need? Are we testing God in our hearts, saying, well, God, if you really loved me, then I wouldn't be going through this. If, you, if your word was really true, if you were really good, we start testing him in our hearts, and we don't even realize we're doing it. It's, a lot of times, it's our thoughts, and, and um, we feel jealousy. You know what that means? Is that you're not content in what, where God, ooh, that step is, steps on my toes, 
spiritual maturity, a, a sign of spiritual maturity is joy in all circumstances. Ooh, I'm not there yet. I test God with my heart to get what I want. The Israelites had manna every single day. They could go out there, they counted on they could count it like clockwork, manna every single day. Well, then they start complaining that they don't have any meat. Well, God, can't you provide for us some meat? And they start testing him in, in their hearts. And so what does God do? <laughs> he gives them so much quail. It's, it's, the word says it's coming out their nose. We don't limit God by failing to comprehend or imagine what he's capable of doing. Because that's not really fair. God can't expect our uh, limited human minds to be fully capable of what a big, infinite, sovereign God is capable of doing. So he doesn't punish us because our minds aren't capable of really understanding what he's capable of doing. We limit God by failing to remember what he's done. You guys, he's already proven himself. He has already proven himself. We begin to test him when we fail to remember what he has already done. When we don't get what we want. You know, I have Ava, you know, she's 10. And she's one of the very few, fifth, she's a fifth grader, very few kids her age that doesn't have their own cell phone. And we have butted heads about this a lot. And she's like, she's like, I don't understand. I don't understand, Mom. I just don't understand. So-and-so has Snapchat, and, and their mom checks it, and you can get a kid's account. And, and I just don't understand. Tell me why it's bad for me. I just don't understand. I mean, we, if we've had this conversation once, we've had it a million times. And I, my, my response is always, I am not trying to withhold something good from you. I just see the bigger picture. And I know what that little machine does. It opens up her to the entire world. She's not ready for that. Sometimes we aren't ready for that. At 45, I'm not ready for that. I'm not withholding something good. And I tell her, you have to trust my intent. You have to trust that I'm not trying to withhold something good from you. I'm trying to protect you from things you don't understand. So when we don't get what we want, come on, sometimes it's like, it's like we're the 10-year-old asking for the cell phone, and God is saying, no, you're not ready. He's not trying to withhold something good from you. Do you understand that? God is not withholding good from you. So you just Sometimes we can't see the bigger picture. Most of the time we don't see the bigger picture. And we, we, we can't see that. You know, in due time, in due time, she'll get a cell phone. I mean, as long as she, you know, there's some rules, you know, that she knows some stipulations she has to meet. But in due time, I trust that she will, she will have her own cell phone. That's not now. And sometimes God isn't saying no. He's just saying not now. I've got to hurry up. Ah, time goes so fast up here, guys. If you've never spoke up here, and I know... I know you think, oh, they're long-winded, but I'm just telling you, it's like goes fast. So the third, the third um, 
Survival skill is trust. I don't know if I said that. You probably figured that out. Jesus had no reason to jump off the cliff (laughs) because he took God at his word. He knew if there was ever a time that he was in a pickle and needed protection, God would do it because God said he would do it. Jesus had no reason to have to test God out because he took him at his word. And here we are testing God, testing God with our hearts, testing him over and over because we don't see what we think we should see. We're not, that's not trust. That's not trust. And, and I'm not there yet in every aspect of my life. There's some things I'm really good at trusting him with. And other things I'm like, no, I think I'll, I think I'll hold on to this. (laughs) So discipline, worship, and trust. There's probably many other survival skills. Many, many, but these are the three that I just really felt like, you know, stuck out in these passages of Scripture. We've got to be disciplined, guys. We've got to worship in the waiting, and we've got to trust him and his timing. So real quickly, and I'm almost done, I promise. That's our part in the wilderness. So what's God's part? Because he's not going to leave you out there alone. Amen? I don't want to be out in the wilderness by myself. So there's four promises of God in the wilderness. Number one is direction. Exodus 13, 21. I don't have it down. I have to look it up. So the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided night. He provided light at night with a pillar of fire. Even the contestants on Naked and Afraid, they're given a map showing them where they need to go for water source. So that means where the water is, obviously they need water to drink. But also that's where the uh, wildlife go. There's water, so they have, you know, more, a better chance of hunting something and getting food. So even, and they have a map to tell them how to get to the extraction point when, the shows, when the, their time is over and they are extracted from the wilderness. God isn't going to leave you alone to wander aimlessly. He's going to give you direction. In Psalms 119.105, it says, Your word is a lamp to, my, to guide my feet and a light for my path. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So sometimes his direction will be limited. and Other times it's going to be broad. So if you have a light shining on your feet, what can you see? the next step if you have a lamp on your path what can you see farther out better direction I kind of prefer the lamp on the path (laughs) to be honest but sometimes it's just a little bitty light right on my feet it's like a headlamp right here and I'm like all I can see is the next step and I don't like that because I get here and I'm like I don't know what I'm doing but direction is always promised guys Psalms 37, 23, it says, When Yahweh delights in how you live your life, he establishes your every step. I'm here to tell you God is delighted in you. He is delighted in you. If this is your first time to step into the church building, God is delighted in you. 
He will establish your every step. God is going to promise direction in the wilderness, guys. We are not to wander aimlessly. He will give us direction. Sometimes it takes us being disciplined to really hear that direction. It's back to the discipline. Okay, number two, protection. In Exodus 14, 19, it says, The angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. So this was when the Egyptians were pursuing them. God moved, and he stood between them and their pursuers. So whatever is pursuing you, whatever is tormenting you, whatever is trying to chase you down, whatever is coming after you, you've got to see God is standing between you and that which pursues you. God is standing there protecting you. He is standing. I mean, the angel moved between the Israelites and the Egyptians. He will do the same for you. If depression is tormenting you, you've got to see God standing between you and that depression. If addiction is tormenting you, see God standing between you and that addiction. God will stand between you and that which pursues you. There is protection. He allowed the Israelites to cross the Red Sea. He did so much to protect them. Okay, number three is provision. We already talked about the daily manna. You know, sometimes in the wilderness, the provision is not a ribeye every day. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's just what we need to get by. And we can't complain about the provision, guys. The Israelites complained about the provision. Did you know that their clothes and their sandals never wore out for 40 years? How sad. (laughs) If you like shoes, I think, oh, I always like when a pair of my shoes wear out because then I get to go buy a new pair. But they didn't, I mean, they had no other source of shoes or clothes. So God made sure that their clothes and shoes did not wear out for 40 years. There wasn't a sick one among them. In Deuteronomy, he said he, said he nourished them with honey from the rock. It's kind of like I knew what we were gonna, I was going to preach on today. <laughs> we sang honey, honey in the rock. And olive oil from the stony ground. So are we going to be like the Israelites who complained about their provision? who kept saying they had it better in Egypt. If we complain about the provision in the wilderness, it drives us to want to be back to where God delivered us from. We forget about how bad we had it in Egypt. God's provision is so faithful, you guys. And sometimes we take his provision for punishment. God's trying to provide for you, but it's not exactly what you want, so you think you're being punished. Oh, his provision, he's so faithful, guys. He's so faithful. He will provide in the wilderness. He will provide in the wilderness. I know Pastor Eric has talked about, you know, living on hot dogs and macaroni and cheese. You know, when Bryce and I were first married, we lived in a tiny little trailer house. We lived on Hamburger Helper. And I just thought I was a great cook. 
I was so proud of the hamburger helper. I'd give him every night, you know, and what, like one box of hamburger helper would feed us for, you know, we'd eat it for supper, and then usually he'd take it to work the next day. To this day, I cannot stomach hamburger helper. <laughs> I, I, I had my share of that, so. But even if it's hamburger helper, God is providing for us. There's, there's not always going to be a feast. Okay, I'm moving on. I'm about out of time. The last thing that God promises is sustenance. He will sustain us. Sustain means to strengthen our support. I don't care how you got in the wilderness. Even Elijah who ran out of fear, God sent an angel to feed him. And the word says it sustained him for 40 days. So if you've gotten yourself into the wilderness, maybe the spirit didn't lead you there. God's promise of sustenance still remains. He will sustain you. Isaiah 46, 4. I want to end with the scripture. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. You guys, this body, we have witnessed the greatest example of God's sustenance through our pastors. I've gone through hard times. You've gone through hard times. But I think we can all say we haven't gone through what they've had to walk through this past two years. And they come in week in and week out. God has sustained them. You guys, not just their fam, not just the, the five members of their family they lost in a fire. In one swoop, they were gone just like that. If that wasn't enough, then we have this whole fiasco with the building situation. And I won't go into details about that, but that is, oh, that is enough weight that it would kill most people. God has sustained them. This is the greatest example of God's sustenance I have ever seen. God has sustained them. There's no other reason for it, for them to walk in, for Pastor Eric to come in and give the word every day in the middle of his grief. Not only did they lose their five kids, Pastor Eric lost uh, his oldest son like a year or two before, right? And I'm not making this about them. I'm pointing to the one who has sustained them. I think about Glennis and her testimony she gave last week. Oh, it blessed me. It blessed me. Decades Decades she prayed for her son. Glennis, there were probably tears, weren't there, when you were praying for your son? Days that were, you felt hopeless. Days you thought, he's going to die. But look what God did. He sustained her. He sustained him. For, for years. For decades. God 
will sustain you. Whatever you're going through. You know, I have a cousin whose wife is is on hospice. She, you guys have prayed for her, but the cancer's just come back and just taken over. And and I didn't have any words to say. What do you say? I mean, what do you say? And I told my cousin, I said, I don't have any words to say except I know this. Whatever happens, God will sustain you. He will sustain you. Through the biggest heartbreak, through the biggest disappointment, through your biggest needs, God will sustain you. It's his promise in the wilderness. If you're in the wilderness for 40 years, God forbid I don't want to be in the wilderness for 40 years. But if I am... I'm going to keep worshiping, and I'm going to keep trusting, knowing that his sustenance will keep me. You guys, it's in, the, it's in the hard times that we grow. It's in the hard times that we become more like Jesus. And this is, this is I'm almost done, I promise. Every seed, will you show that last? Every seed of every living thing, on the inside of it, is a blueprint for a root and a shoot. It's the scientific words right there, radical and whatever that there is. It's a root and a shoot. You guys, when that seed is buried in the ground, the root goes deep. And the shoot, what does the shoot do? It's reaching for the sun. It's going after the light. That plant is designed to, to grow deep roots and to grow towards the light. You are a seed. We are seeds that God has planted on this earth. And when it feels like we are buried by this, the junk of life, we are a seed. And it's during that time, a seed has to be buried in order for the germination to take place. You cannot leave a seed on the kitchen table and expect that thing to grow. We will not grow sitting on the couch watching Netflix, 70-degree thermostat. We're not going to grow there, guys. We're going to grow through the hard times. We're going to grow in the hard times. It's in our hard times that our roots go deep. Our roots go deep and our our shoots go high and we're reaching to the light. If we go deep and we go towards the light, that's the first thing a plant does. And after that, that's called primary growth. After the primary growth, guess what's happened? Guess what happens? Secondary growth. That's when the plant gets bigger around. That's when the plant starts growing branches, starts growing new leaves, starts growing new blooms, starts producing fruit. Secondary growth cannot happen without primary growth. And primary growth takes place in the wilderness. That picture right there, Pastor Shelley shared that. That little, little sprout coming up. That land is dry. So dry, it's cracked. I mean, look at that, new life. When I saw her share that, I was like, oh, that's for me, God. I'm growing where I am. I'm determined for my roots to go deep. I'm determined to keep reaching towards the sun. So his light, his light, I'm reaching towards his light. And after, obviously, we all have more primary growth to do. 
And then the secondary growth can come in. That's when we see the fruit. That's when he brings us into his promises. That's when he really begins to use us to make a difference. You guys, it's not about us. It's not always about us. God loves you so much. And I hope today challenged you, and I hope that it encouraged you that through the wilderness seasons of life, you are going to make it. You're going to make it. God's direction, God's protection, God's provision, God's sustenance is on you. It is on you. No matter how you got into the wilderness, it's on you. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to pray and dismiss this. Oh, God, we just love you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that Jesus gives us. God, we want to look more like Jesus. We need to look more like Jesus in order to fulfill, to grow your kingdom on this earth. God, we have to look like Jesus. So help us during these wilderness seasons of life. Help us, God to grow. Help us to to discipline ourselves. Help us to worship in the waiting. Help us to trust you instead of test you, God. To know that you are not withholding good from us. That you you have a purpose and a plan. There is honey in the rock. There is purpose in your plan, God. We thank you so, so much. And I just pray for every single person here. And I, th- I thank you, God, no matter where they're at in life, maybe they're living full in the promises of God and there's not a wilderness around them. But I feel like most of us, we have some wilderness in us, some wilderness parts that we're still trying to walk through. We're still trying to, to come into the fullness of God. And we just thank you, Lord, that you're leading us, you're protecting us, you're providing for us, and you're sustaining us. God, sustain us. We trust you. I speak blessings over every single person here. I speak blessings over everyone who listened online. And I thank you, God, that this body of believers were coming out of the wilderness into your promises. We're coming out of the wilderness. We're coming out of the barren land. We're coming out of the dry land. And we're coming into your fullness. We're coming into the promises of God, to the milk and honey that you have for us, God. I believe it. I believe it. And we just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you. Thank you for being patient with me. God bless you. I want you to have a wonderful, wonderful week.